Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In John's Gospel, the feeding of the 5,000 leads to extended teaching in which Jesus identifies himself as the true bread of life. Finally, in these verses, he makes a connection that would not be understood until after his death in the light of the church's celebration of Holy Communion. Hear then the words of John. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like that which your ancestors ate, and they died. But the one who eats this bread will live forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Once again, good morning to each of you, and thank you for inviting me to come to share God's Word and participate in worship with you this morning. Now, I've been up since 5 o'clock because driving from Dover Air Force Base down to here, you know, took a little time. Now, yesterday, when my wife and I went to the beach, it took almost two hours plus with all the traffic, so I figured if I got up at 5, I could maybe get here a little bit earlier, and we were, and uh, so it's good. So if I fall asleep halfway through, you know, just give me a little shout or something, we'll wake up. But uh, there's no place to stay in Rehoboth Beach unless you make a reservation now for next year. But uh, we are simply delighted, my wife and I, to be with you. Today I'd like to focus our attention on Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you might want to open to that because we're going to walk through Ephesians 5. I'm going to make reference to it throughout my message. And although we only read a portion of that scripture, Paul has a lot of things to say to us as modern-day Ephesian Christians, if you will, And I think there are important things for us today as we consider the topic, how we can walk with purpose. What is our purpose in life? All of us can look at our occupations, we can look at our lives, we can look at God's Word, but if we live without purpose, there's really no meaning to our life. And of course, as Christians, we know God has given us a specific purpose. He told us in Matthew 22, he said, that our purpose in life is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, all that we have and all that we do. We should love God first and our neighbors as ourselves, the first greatest commandment of love. The second thing that God told us to do is from Matthew chapter 28. He told us that we should go and make disciples. Now, we can't change people, but we can influence them by what Paul is talking about right here in Ephesians chapter 5. 
So I want to take you back, and for those of you who have children or grandchildren, maybe there's a couple of young people here with us this morning, I know school is starting, but I'm going to use that as an example because we are all being instructed daily as students of our Lord. Educators have noted this particular study, shown how children spend their days at school. Don't you wish sometime you could be a fly on the wall and watch your children or your grandchildren and what they're doing all day? This is what the study revealed. They said that children, while they're in school, spend a number of minutes every day reading at their desk, going to and from the restroom, drinking the water for the water fountain, sharpening their pencils, and so on. But there are blocks of time that this study showed that children are just sitting around doing nothing, or they're getting up out of their seats and they're just going nowhere without purpose. They just get up and move around until the teacher says, sit back down. So walking with no purpose, can you imagine that, wasting time during the day? And studies have found that in a normal day, a child will spend a certain number of minutes just doing that, just simply getting up and moving around with no purpose, just moving and finally sitting down. The fact is, and we can learn a lot from our children and grandchildren, is that we adults are really no different than our children, are we? People of all ages by nature spend or waste a lot of time in their life just simply getting up and not knowing what to do. Now, as I'm getting older and aging, I was told by some of my senior saints in my congregation that sometimes they'll go halfway up the stairs and they don't remember if they're going up or coming down. You know? Or you get in a car and you're starting to drive and you can't remember what you got in the car for. And without that list to the store, you don't know what you're doing. So Paul talks about that here in Ephesians 5, and he says that by nature, many people live their lives with no purpose. They're simply just existing. They're not really living. And he calls this darkness. He says in Ephesians 5, verse 8, at one time, all of us were darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And so what he's saying to us is that We have been changed, not by something we have done, but what God has done in calling us through the Holy Spirit to be his sons and daughters in Christ. And so the question before us this morning I want us to consider briefly is this. Are we, especially as Christians, walking as children of light? And so here's the question. Life is simply too precious, then, to be wasted. When I was growing up, I was taught by my parents to never waste a moment of the Lord's time. Now, that's a good statement, but my wife Kathy sometimes thinks I try to crowd too much in, you know, and running at the last minute, and she tells me, if you're not five minutes early, you're late. So I'm right now telling you, since five o'clock this morning, I'm ready for next week's service. (laughs) All righty. Paul says in Ephesians 5.15, if you have your Bible, He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise people, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We don't know how much time we have left on this earth. I mean, every morning when we get up, it's like, you know, good morning, God. You know, it's like, this is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. So when I turned 50, about 18 years ago, Um, I made a change in my life. I said, I'm going to live every day as if it's my last day on earth and make the most of every moment. Secondly, I'm going to live as if Jesus Christ was coming today, so I have to spend my time being a light and salt to reflect that so that God, who wants everybody to be saved and come to the knowledge of his Son, I want to be a part of that movement. 
And thirdly, live to give. Give of myself, my time, my talents, my spiritual gifts, and my financial resources. And so we spend the first half of our life getting, and now we're spending the last half of our life giving away. Because we certainly don't leave a lot of stuff behind for our children to have to do with after we've gone to heaven, right? Okay. So in the midst of a world of aimless despair and people who are just wandering around, God calls you and I to live with purpose, to live with hope, a hope that never fails, just as Bethany sang in her song and just as the scripture lessons were reminding us again this morning. God encourages us to take every moment and opportunity to show people that being a Christian and knowing Christ as our personal Savior and Lord does make a difference in our lives. Because you and I are more of a motion picture before the world by how we live and what we do more than what we say. Sometimes people are brought to Christ just by watching you and I. And that we want people to see and to hear the good news because if they turn to Jesus, they will avoid eternity without God and they will live not a wasted life, but a fulfilled life. So here's the two questions for this morning based on that. What makes people tick? What makes you tick? Paul says in Ephesians 5.17, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So, even at this point in our lives, what is God calling upon you to do with your life? Jerry says, sing in the choir. Okay? And your pastors and deaconess and can will say, you know, worship God not just on Sundays, but every single day. You see, for us as Christians, the answer to that question, what makes us tick, is very simple. The day you and I became God's child through holy baptism, or perhaps as an adult we heard the word of God, was moved and wanted to be baptized, the day we became God's child is the day the Holy Spirit came into us, and he took residence in our lives. And so longer, it's no longer we who live, but it's Christ who lives in us. And we should be living and directing our life and all we say and do according to the word of God. Now, you can hear it on Sunday, but I hope that you're reading it Monday through Saturday as well. Because God has a lot to say to us about how we are to live as people who are not of the world, but we live in the world. And God wants all people to come to the knowledge of his son. And you and I, as I said earlier, have been committed to love God with all that we've got, our neighbors as ourselves, and our mission is to make disciples because God wants everybody, everybody to come to heaven. But we know that not everybody is destined there. We know that some close their mind and their heart to the Lord. But our purpose is to whet their appetite. My grandfather used to say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, but you can give him a little salt and whet his appetite. And Jesus said, you and I are salt of the earth. Not to assault people with the word, but to just flavor them with it. And so some people live according to the things of this world. You know, Paul goes on to say, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Walking through the motions of life without having a purpose and without living for someone, hiring ourselves, and not answering that call, we waste our life. And in the end, people are going to try to think about some good things to say about us while we're perhaps lying in a box, a big one or a little one, about this person who died. But the difference that we make will be the countless lives have been touched by you, by your life and by your example and by your words and your encouragement that change them 
for eternity. So what does make people tick? If it's not the things of the world, maybe it's the creator of the world. You know, the older I get each day, I begin to look around and realize how insignificant I really am. That came to me as a a powerful point when I was serving as a Navy chaplain, and and I was on a ship between Chinhe, Korea, and Yokosuka, Japan, and we were out on the USS Blue Ridge, and I'd go up at night to do the 1MC and to do the evening devotion, then go out on the side of the bridge, and I would look around, and it was like the ship was just in a big circle. You look around, all you saw was a circle of water. No other ships, no land. Nobody else, quiet sea, the rustling of the winds. And I realized on this boat that I was on, this ship, even though it looked big, was not that big at all. And I, as an individual, totally insignificant. And thought to myself, if this ship goes down, you know, hopefully I would be safe. But I knew that no matter what happened, I'd go up because of my faith in Christ, who died and rose again, that I might have forgiveness, life abundant here on earth, but also life eternal. Then I began to think about all my shipmates. How many of them, if they died, would be saved for eternity? How many are saved now? So I had them captured. I figured to myself, if I share the faith and a particular sailor didn't want to hear it, I could throw him overboard and say, now, do you want to be saved? But that didn't do that. So Jesus said to his followers, you are the light of the world. And by our baptism into Christ, as I mentioned earlier, you know, he sees through us that we've been enlightened. We've been filled. That Holy Spirit came in. He washed away that original sin, filled us with spiritual gifts, gave us all talents and abilities that we can use effectively to touch the lives of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well as other people. And so because of the Holy Spirit, when we look at Scripture, we see God who he really is, not a distant, way-up creator who doesn't care about us, but one who cared so much that even the sacrifice of his one and only son, Jesus, was not too much to give to save the whole world. And so that payment on the cross was once and for all, for everybody who hasn't even been born yet, and for those who will turn to Christ even before their moment of death, that salvation is for all who would confess that they are sinful, can't do anything to save themselves, but they're trusting in Christ alone as their Savior. You see, when that happens in our life, we can share that good news with others because of what Christ has done. And as children of light, we need to walk and live with purpose. What is our purpose? Love God with all you got, neighbors yourself, and make disciples. Matthew 5.16 said it this way, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. People, we know, need to hear good news. You watch the news at night, as my wife and I do, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock. There's nothing on it but bad news. Every now and then, there'll be somebody who just out of the ordinary rush to a car and drug somebody out when the car is about ready to burst into flames or jump into the river and save another human being or even an animal. But we don't hear about the real good news. The good news that once we were lost, now we're found blind, and now we see hell bound and now heaven bound because of our Savior Jesus. God declares that by trusting in Christ alone, our sins are forgiven. Heaven is our home. And so led by the Spirit of God, we sing with purpose. Lutheran Church has always been known as a singing congregation, a singing group of people, and it is. 
Uh, when Kath and I recently were in Europe, and we didn't get a chance to worship on Sunday because we were in countries that didn't speak English. But, uh, you know, just to be together as a family of God like this on Sunday, to sing the hymns with robustness, you know, and with, with just enthusiasm and played with beautiful music as Gerald punches it out on the organ for us. You know, it's just a wonderful expression of who we are. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, Paul said this, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart. Martin Luther said it this way. You remember Martin Luther, don't you? Uncle Martin, okay. When we were in a cathedral over in Germany uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we walked in and, and uh, looking around and uh, the, the magnificent structure, people just kind of touring, and I went over and introduced myself to the custodial there, and, and I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a retired Lutheran pastor, just came here and, and found a Lutheraner der Kirche, Kirche, you know, German Lutheran church, and it was, and it was great. I said, this is their Lutheraner Kirche? And he said, yes, it is. And then he pulled out a picture, and he laid it for me and said, you know who that is? I said, that's Uncle Marty. And so he gave me the picture as a gift. I thought that was kind of cool. But anyhow, this is what Martin Luther said. He says, let us also live with Jesus. He has risen from the dead. That to life we may awaken. Jesus, you are now our head. We are your own living members. Where you live, there we shall be in your presence constantly, living there with you forever. Jesus, let me faithful be. Life eternal grant to me. LSB, Lutheran Service Book, hymn number 685, verse 4. Luther wrote that back in the 1500s. And that's exactly what Scripture says. That's why the hymnody of our church that we sing is so beautiful, because it's Scripture put to music. So in Christ, finally, we live in repentance and faith. Did you feel it this morning? When you confessed your sins, at that very moment when I share with you God's word that all of your sins have been washed away, at that very moment, you were pure. Until you turned to somebody next to you and said, wake up, be quiet. No, in all seriousness, every time we go to the Father, we say, Father, please forgive me for those words, those attitudes and actions. He doesn't say, I'm going to think about it. He doesn't say, you know how many times you've said that? 694 times? You've, you've reached your limit. When we confess our sins, he always, always forgives. Dear friends, there's nothing in life you could ever do that would separate you from God's love in Christ. Read Romans 8. It'll tell you that. For in him, in Acts 17, we live and move and have our being. And so, as disciples of Christ, we walk in his light with head held high. I know this we live in, but we know where we're going. And so we have to walk as people of light, not darkness. And if our walk is one of repentance and faith and sharing with the world, there is nothing you could ever do to separate you from God's love in Christ. Confess it, God will forgive you. John chapter 1, 8 and 9 says, If we confess our sins, God's faithful, just to forgive, and then last part, and to cleanse us. God does not choose to remind us of anything we've ever done in the past because we are new creations. We live in the forgiveness of our deeds done in darkness with no wholesome purpose is wrong, but we live as children of light, and once we confess it, God forgives it, we move on. Or as St. Augustine said, a Christian ought to be an alleluia from head to toe. Amen? Amen. And may the peace of God that does pass all human understanding keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus.